You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus, terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, my name is Tanya Pinkins, and I'm the host of the podcast You Can't Say That on the Broadway Podcast Network. This fall, I have a special treat for you. In honor of my debut feature film, Red Pill. Marissa Lynn Daniels Studio has been hosting weekly conversations with my fellow Broadway colleagues and co-host Sierra Renee about the red pilling of America. These conversations create a safe space for us to talk about the things that are on our mind with an election and a global pandemic. So join us for the Red Pilling of America, a spotlight series every Saturday at 5 p.m. Or on the Broadway Podcast Network, you can't say that, bpn.fm forward slash YCST. Join the conversation. smart you is important you is dead tanya pinkins horror film red pill brings african-american perspective to progressive movement we are a majority in this country and we're gonna win the election do you know what the red pill is a red pill is someone who infiltrates a group and then destroys them from the inside. This place is spooky. Some people like to live dangerously. Gas, why are you so jumpy tonight? You know what, guys? I'm gonna go back tomorrow. Did you hear about the creature woman that attacked a father and son hunting down here? I don't see the case. This place creeps me out. We should call the sheriff's office. The only people missing or dead are brown people. They're after all of us. What do we do, Amelia? We die. But we take some of them with us. Hey, Maria. It is so lovely to uh, get to have this online conversation with you. 
This is, I think, our 17th Red Pilling of America, which is inspired by my my debut feature, Red Pill, that Marissa Lynn, well, she's Daniel, she's Marissa Keegan, she's got many names, um, has been hosting for, I guess it's about three months. So this is number 17. And we have some other amazing people coming up. Um, and I'm excited to have you here. You're actually one of the few people who's ever seen multiple versions of my film. And you are a filmmaker yourself. So I want you to talk about your work. And you're very much about pol politics and film. And that's what, for me, being an artist is. Like, to me, artists are the soul of a nation. So our work is political. And um, yeah, let's talk. Let's let you talk, Maria. Tell me what you're working on. What's this film you're working on right now? Oh my goodness. There's so many things there. Um, it's so funny. Can I just have a side story here <laughs> about <laughs> politics? I, you know how all your best ideas happen in the shower? Um, I had a conversation with someone last week and they, and they called me a progressive and I was pissed off for like the rest of the day. <laughs> and I was just like, what the fuck? Why would you say that? And they were like, you know, really because of the work that you do. I was like, have you ever seen me put progressive on anything? Have you ever seen me like stand in any political space with any one people? And it's mostly because as a black woman, I really feel like you constantly have to like keep an eye on everything, right? Like in, I, I personally am thinking like, in the space I am, and especially in the place that I do art, it's a disservice to me to stand in, in any kind of liberal, democratic, progressive space to constantly be moving because so much like I work with homeless people every day and to get that work done, I need to go take some money and put it in, in the mouths and the hands of the people that actually need it. And that money comes from a lot of different people, right? And they give it for many different reasons. And I'm over the reason of giving it just because you care. I could give whether you care, just give me your money and let me put it, apply it to the things that I think are really important. So, uh, so that's the like place of politics I am in. I don't know if that makes sense, but like the place of politics and art is also like this place of, uh, uh, it, what does it exactly mean to be political in art, right? It can mean so many things. And it doesn't also mean that you're out in the street protesting with your art. It could be that you're in a cave like I am <laughs> doing a feature film for the first time after like a 15 year career and doing it despite everyone, which I know you know the story, Tanya, told you you shouldn't do it, right? So you're doing the thing that you finally are doing radically in the space that you think is supportive and healing and you're inviting folks onto this journey that you think are supportive and healing and that becomes like a space of politics and art and and what also is the content of that so like um elephant is about you know a woman who witnesses a young kid on her apartment doorstep and she's traumatically, you know, transformed after that experience to the extent that she can't leave her apartment because of this incident. And she like takes a rest, which is the radical space. She takes a rest for a year to like deal with her mental illness and, and deal with her reckoning of, of where she's at, where America is at, where we all are at, who she has these conversations with. So it's a feature film. I star in it. I, I am the actor. I am also the producer. I sometimes was the camera person, sometimes the sound person. Um, we had a nice little crew of like five or six, but also I really demanded on this film that everybody understand 
that's the subject um, and not just be a work for hire, which is the usual space I have people in my film, if that makes sense. And that film is based on something you actually experienced as well, right? Yeah, like part of it for me was like, maybe like 2015, 2014, um, we just had like a, a number of cases of uh, murders of young black and brown people in the streets um, in the nation, but particularly also in San Francisco. Um, and I was just becoming more and more um, depressed, but also I had spent a lot of time doing so much different work in those political spaces that now I, I kind of have removed myself from, which, you know, playing the democratic game, playing the liberal game, playing the um, progressive game. And I did a lot of work in lots of different spaces and I just became fatigued. I just became fatigued also of not seeing your energy um, uh, have the same um, outcome that you really expected it to. And so we were, and, and I know this is like a typical activist thing, but you're just putting so much energy, right? And now we're in 2020 <laughs> and I'm like, man, this is really, really familiar. So I'm like literally editing a film in 2020 that I made a film in 2016 to about 2018 in the same spirit and not much has changed other than I'm changing myself and how I relate and how I, I think and how I work and how I see my energy. Like, and, I, and this is like side note, like I am totally rethinking black women in labor. Like I'm really trying to understand my labor and the energy that's attached to my labor in so many ways, if that makes sense. And I know, I know you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Explain it, break it down, what, what your black woman labor is. Ooh, girl, like I think part of it is a lot of, you know, as I listen to the other um, pieces of your podcast, there's so many places that I see black women working in, right? We're working in the the care space of caring for other people. So, so we're just like, you know, caregivers all around. We're, we're nurturers, we're healers, we're in the mystic arts. We are also in this like, you know, labor of the skill and thing that we are doing. So I've been in tech, I've been in film, I've been in the arts. And I always find myself holding <laughs> multiple bags in a space and not having a lot of energy for my own work. And this is how I end up with a film after so many years, finally getting to my feature film is because I worked for a lot of other people. I did a lot of labor and other spaces um, and the expectation of, you know, someone turning around and being like, all right, it's your turn. You know, let us work on your film. Let us support you. That doesn't happen in the same way. I want I want to speak to that because I think yeah. I, I can relate to that in the sense that um, all of my career, I've wanted to find a team. And I know the most talented people in the world, and it's it's very hard to get the most talented people in the world to be on your team because every one of them has their own things and their own communities. And so I often would be trying to um, get people to get on a team for us to do something together because I love collaboration. And I remember once um, uh, one of my coaches said to me about my acting, about my work on Army Wives, he said to me, you know, you're more interesting than the stars on the show. You're probably not going to last very long. And then he sat me down and he said, you know, when you ask someone to be on a team with you, that is intimidating for them. They look at you and they're like, oh, if you lean on me, I'm going to fall down. And so he said, 
better for you to um, build whatever you're going to do and then say, oh, look what I'm doing. Better jump on the ride. And when he said that, I thought like, what does that mean? And how am I ever supposed to do that? And I think that with Red Pill, I inadvertently did that, but only because I tried so hard, so long to get a team. I know a lot of people, I'd ask everybody to give me a shot. They said no. On this side, I'm actually grateful for all those people who said no, because I finally just jumped off the cliff and did it. And then in the middle of doing it, all of these people showed up. You know, Marissa showed up, Will showed up. This, you know, I found myself one time in the middle going, oh my God, I have a team. I, I wasn't looking for this team, but this is the team that I magnetized. This is the team that showed up. The one I was looking for, that didn't ever happen. Mm, I, you, <laughs> I have so much to say there and like, I don't even know where to begin, right? So a lot of this is like me coming to the conclusion to unlearn everything I've ever learned about filmmaking to build a team that makes the most sense for the work that I want to do. You know, so I, I think there's a lot about me reaching back to my my grandmothers and my 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 the people that took care of me. Um, um, just mamas in the neighborhood to see how they organized and how they built their team together. And a lot of their work begins by developing a space to care and nurture, meaning like I had to rethink, like, do I want to shoot for 12 hours a day? Hell the fuck no, I don't want to shoot for 12 hours a day. Like I'm still working a full-time job, right? So I was like, all right, we're going to shoot eight to nine hours, you know, we'll, we'll see, we'll see how people feel. And then I had to like, uh, uh, supply food. I had to supply, not like food of like, oh, you're supplying catering. This was like supply food and a place to nurture and sit. And, and when they come into the door to let them deal with their day before they transform into art, which is not something I had ever been on a set that did that and was something that I realized, especially with um, the people in my film, I used a lot of my community. Some of them were trained actors, some of them weren't, but every single person, mostly people of color, I think I only have one person that's maybe not a person of color, but every single person came in with a fucking story about how racism had impacted their day. You know what I'm saying? And so for me to be like, all right, cool, I get it, we all get it, flip on because we gonna act now and we're gonna do art just stop making any sense so in a way like we spent time in the beginning of each each um day that we shot just to like unload and, and to release and to be here but also that informed the the process so much because everyone was kind of like taking their own stories around you know our conversations and they're just like a bunch of conversations that are kind of um, trying to help this character um, re, uh, figure out her space of trauma. You know, I, I hate to say like there's any resolution that comes from witnessing a person being murdered or any resolution or, or healing that happens when you witness a young boy on a skateboard that gets murdered by a cop. Like you don't heal from that, but you do figure out some place for yourself in your mind to deal with it to move on from it, but also to hold a space for it and to hopefully think in the future of how you can um, navigate 
you know, and, and politically uh, push against the ability for something like that to happen again. And that's what happens in the whole film. It's not a snap or easy thing. It takes her a year to figure out that space. But so often we are like, all right, you saw these people get murdered on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. All right, now get back into these streets, go back to work. <laughs> make sure you're making this Thanksgiving dinner for your family. <laughs> Let's not pause and mourn collectively and as a people. So that's also a part of like the black woman's labor, you know. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's interesting that you, that's like a, a very radical thing, that you are making space in your art um, for this, let's, let's, let's breathe, let's feel. And in a, in a sort of contrasting way, in the plays that I write and even in, in Red Pill, I feel like um, I want it acknowledged that many people, not just Black women, they are walking around juggling 50 traumas at a time and you don't know it because they are doing their job fantastically. You don't have a clue what is going on in their, their house. And so, you know, I, I have a play that we just had a reading of Jeffrey Manor where it was about six women all juggling a million problems and none of them get resolved at the end of the play and they keep going. And they're the kind of things that in a typical story, one of them carries the whole story. And at the end, there's some, if it isn't resolved, you're emotionally better at it. And it's like, no, actually there's a lot of people where there is no resolution. They live in the lack of resolution their whole lives. And for me, I wanna elevate that to a kind of heroism. Someone gave me a note about the moment in the play when a character is murdered and their partner just goes cold. And they're like, I, I don't I don't like that. I don't want that. And it's like, well, that character has seen a lot of people killed and they can't break down because they know they could be next. This is not the time to have an emotional breakdown because now we got to figure out what we're going to do because we just saw somebody get killed. They're ready to kill every one of us. Boom. And that we as women do that all the time. You know, so we're working the opposite side of what is the journey of, of dealing with trauma. Yes, I totally agree. And in in my film, like I, I say this as I started to like send it to folks to get like feedback on it. Like everyone's comment is I'm really mad at your character because she doesn't do anything. And I'm like, what do you mean she don't do nothing? 
she she she's basically healing what does that look like and maybe it looks like what instagram and twitter has told you it looks like where you go order a bunch of shit online or you go talk to your therapist and do your psychoanalysis or whatever or it just looks like somebody fucking sitting in a corner staring at a wall trying to figure out if she won't tea or she won't breakfast or should she call her therapist right like what does trauma look like and i think the radical place for us as Black people is to have this discussion with each other, right? The, there's a scene with the mother where the mother says that exact same thing. She's like, you know, like my Black mama, you think you're the only person that had trauma? you the only person that ever seen anybody murdered, any, seen anybody? We all seen it and we get our ass up and we go back to work, we get shit done. You can't just sit here and cry and, and whine and be in your feelings. That's white people shit. And this is that millennial stuff. This is that stuff that, you know, Twitter is telling you. And she's like, you know, I'm actually healing. Like, this is working for me. I have a therapist. I'm doing my yoga, you know, and, and I got my plants, you know, I, I'm trying to do some art and writing. And mom is like, girl, your hair look terrible. You ain't got no lipstick on and you ain't been outside in six months. So that for me is, is so much about, about our next conversation that we should have as, as Black people is how do we heal? And what does that look like? And also, does it look different for all of us, right? And is our trauma also the same because we just lump our trauma over white supremacy and racism and we don't allow for all those intersections of our trauma to say that women have a whole other layer of trauma for us. We have a whole other layer that we're dealing with about our bodies as women being um, be, being abused and in, in, in the hostile aggression against our bodies on a daily basis, not not to mention the racism and the colonialism and the white supremacy. Yeah, I think you know I'm 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 an elder I'm an elder, and what I can say is that the traumas that would take me down for a year. Um, because I now have moved into a space where, and I'm not saying this is an easy space to move into, but I think about that passage in the Bible that says, this too shall pass. And I've lived long enough to know that everything passes. And so I have a discipline practice of um, when something happens, I try to be with it as it is. Now, the more difficult it is, the more I watch myself going into avoiding everything. Let me go do this. Let me call this one. Let me do that one. Let me do that one. And so I will watch myself doing that. And then I go, now you ready to just lay down and, and feel that feeling? You know, are you ready to lay down and feel that feeling? Um, and eventually I get to just making the space. And usually when I make the space, it doesn't take as long as I thought. But that's a discipline I've worked at. I mean, this week I had the experience was I was full of rage and I just asked a girlfriend, I said, can I have the imaginary conversation with you where I just tell this person off and, you know, Jeff, blah, I can't tell you the burden that was lifted. I was like, everybody needs this. This is better than therapy. All that talking about it is just sticking it in some other places in your body. Just full on release it. You know, they say that when you think it, it's the same as doing it, like find a space and a person where you can just cry or scream and let that go. 
and let it pass and move on to something else. Yeah, it's so funny you said that quote because that quote is in my film. Because, you know, it's a definitely a, a film that's a conversation with Black folks. And, you know, Black folks love our Christianity and we, and we love our Jesus. And so a lot of the elders um, bring to her, you know, this path of Christianity and Jesus as a way to heal this trauma. And so she's talking to her therapist and she's like, you know, everybody keeps saying this line, this too shall pass. But it isn't like this one trauma is not compounded by all the other traumas and also the traumas that come from the maternal line and come from the paternal line. So it's true, this too shall pass, but it also is this too will leave something with you that will never pass and that you will always hold. And so that sense of her in the film is, which I, I'm very interested, like Kathleen Collins is like very interested in exploring this Christianity within the black culture and 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 questioning it, right? And and all out saying, like her character says all out, like, I don't believe in that shit. Like that shit does not work for me. If it works for me, you would have said that shit and I would have got up and walked out this door. Instead, I'm laying out on this floor, not really sure, not really understanding what I'm doing and, and trying to do the math, like. And that's very much me. That's my character, like uh, me and my my own personal life is like, I need to do the math on shit. You can tell me all the all the religious stuff all day. I will take pieces of it. But what's the math? Like, I need to I need the probability of survival right now. I want to understand what the math is, too, because when you were talking about the Christian thing, you know, this is the red pilling of America. And I was thinking about SCOTUS making it okay for religious ceremonies to happen. And to me, that's red pilling of America. Let's just let them all go in there and get killed. <laughs> let them go and die. And then they, if we have to call some revotes, they won't be alive to revote or they'll be in the ICU and they can't revote. But that's part of the math, right? You got a probability there of survival that's very low for them going to church, right? It's not about whether they believe in Jesus or not. There's a scientific element that is proven that they're ignoring and denying. And so that's that's the same thing of as much as, you know, I, I believe in our spirituals and I believe in a, our level of belief that has really helped us to survive and get to the place that we are. Like as a people that, I mean, and it's not, and it has somewhat to do with Christianity, but it has something to do with this higher kind of black power and black spirit and black soul that we have that really gets us out of, you know, the, the, the out of the past into the future. But I'm in the space that that, and I need this other piece, which is like, what's, what's the math here? What's one plus one plus two? But one plus one <laughs> equals two, you know, I need to also know science. I need to know probability. I need to understand. The probability. The probability is that you gonna die eventually. And it could be any moment from now. Like that is the probability that I live with every day. And I find it an empowering, like a lot of people don't want to contemplate their death. I contemplate oh, my no, death. I contemplate my death, girl. I, I investigate it. I scrutinize it. <laughs> Yeah, I contemplate that the next moment is not promised. So I need to do everything I want to do because I might not have the next moment. I, I feel like living with this place where I don't get to procrastinate has right. made my life far more, um, I don't know, just more alive. Like I got to get it done because, you know, the next moment is not promised. And there's a way in which expecting to have time allows you to be lazy, allows you to 
procrastinate because you expect, oh, well, I can do that next week. I don't know that I'm going to have a next week. <laughs> you know, people say, when is the movie coming out? I'm like, you know what? I don't know when the movie's going to come out. It's going to come out when it's supposed to come out. I might be dead by the time the movie comes out. But the movie can come out anyway because all the parts are there and there are lots of people working on it. I might not even be here for it, but it can come out. It does not need me. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, so much of that I was just thinking is um, a, a part of me and my own journey trying to uh, relinquish fear in my life and, and fear of death. Um, and I feel like so much of the world is about building fear and 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 throwing like little fear pebbles in our path to like obstruct us living the fullest life. And so when you said that, I was like, yes, like that's really how I, how I live every day in my, in my personal life is that, um, is that not necessarily my film, but that is definitely how I live in my personal life. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 